books and reading at their very best are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Our guest this week, David Crosby, is a recent graduate of North Oldham County High School in Kentucky. He, like many kids growing up in the 21st century, had an undying affection for the Dave Pilkey Captain Underpants series of books. The Captain Underpants books revolve around two fourth grade boys who draw their own comic books that feature their superhero, Captain Underpants, who accidentally becomes real. David dreamed of creating his own superhero series. What started out as silly stick figure drawings on scraps of paper evolved into a two-issue comic book series designed by David on a Japanese graphic arts program. David's comic, Fro Man and Dubstep Boy, features a black superhero whose superpower is his afro hair that can be transformed into different objects to help fight evil. Froman is a fish out of water, a feeling David says was familiar to him when he moved at eight years old and was one of the only black kids at his new school. Froman is just one character in the Chromics universe that David, along with a group of friends, have planned. In this episode, David talks to us about how he creates his comics as a way to work through situations he's going through personally, why winning a Scholastic Award helped convince his parents he was serious about a possible future in graphic design and comics, and why he was so shook up at the passing of Stan Lee, creator of the Marvel Comic Universe. David has just started his freshman year at the University of Kentucky with classes beginning this week. We wish him all the best in this new phase and can't wait to see what he does next. Our guest today is David Crosby, who is a self-published comic book author who lives in the suburbs outside of Louisville, and he is a recent high school graduate and getting ready to head off to his freshman year at UK. We saw an article in our local newspaper, The Courier-Journal, and David was featured in it, and we were so impressed that we wanted to make sure we got him on the show before he went off to enjoy college. So, David, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You know, you're 18, so you haven't lived a very long life yet, but just tell us a little bit about how you came to wanting to draw comics. So, back in elementary school, I had always loved to read. The first book I ever read, chapter book, graphic novel that I read, was um, The Adventures of Captain Underpants, written by Dave Pilkey. A little kid's book, just following the adventures of Captain Underpants and his two kids, George and Harold, uh, as they just go on crazy adventures with potty humor, that sort of stuff, which was great for me as a kid. And then that just really inspired me to like want to draw and make my own stuff similar to that. In the book, the two kids, George and Harold, they make their own comic book, which is where Captain Underpants comes from. It's their made-up character. And so for me, I wanted to make my own character just kind of be like them and come up with my own type of stuff. And so I started off making stick figure drawings and stuff on like scratch paper, staple it together and like show it to my friends around school. So there would be characters like Game Boy Man or Larg, which is like a mutant turtle, things like that. And eventually ended up just morphing into wanting to make longer, like more mature stories. So that's where the idea for Froman sort of started to come around. I have two boys who are 10 and 12 right now. We never really did like Captain Underpants, but they did the treehouse. It's like it started with the 13 story treehouse and then it was a 26 story treehouse and then it goes up in increments of 13. Were there other comics or graphic novels that appealed to you when you were younger? Well, not really comics and graphic novels at the time. I didn't get into comics until later on, but I read a lot of pretty much anything that you would find at the book fair that would come to school. So um, there was like the Magic Treehouse were books that I would like to read. Another one that I can just remember off the top of my head was called Loot. Just other uh, short chapter books that got me into reading and like creating these worlds with characters and seeing how those characters interact with each other. 
and then transferring that into like a, a visual format. So my boys, they are now in their 20s, but when they were young, they loved the Captain Underpants books. And in fact, my middle one, whenever he had to do a book report, he always wanted to do Captain Underpants, but the same one every time. And I had to force him to read other things. So all those parents out there who have young kids who only want to read Captain Underpants and are concerned that they're not reading headier stuff can take a big sigh of relief because obviously... (laughs) (laughs) It was a good influence on you. So tell us a little bit about your comic book series, The Adventures of Fro-Man and Dubstep Boy, and where the idea for this comic came from. Yeah, so I didn't personally grow up reading comics from a young age. In my head, I just had this stigma that, you know, all comic books are for nerds. Oh, I don't want to really get (laughs) being part of that group. So a lot of my stuff was based off of cartoons and stuff I would watch on TV, like Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, that sort of thing, and the books that I would read as well. And so in middle school, I would make little slice of life comic strips that I would show with my friends. It'd be like a short panel where the character is introduced and then they tell a joke and then that's the punchline and then that's it. So like relatable middle school stuff like, oh, you're in class and you can't stop coughing and then everybody looks at you. And then people will relate to that and laugh at that. (laughs) One of my friends had suggested to me, hey, David, make a comic about a guy with a huge afro. And I was like, okay, well, what's the joke? What's the punchline? And he's like, there's no joke. There's no punchline. It's just a guy with an afro. And so (laughs) I I originally thought, well, that's not really a good idea. I don't want to do anything with that because there's not much I can do with just a guy walking around with an afro. But Then I started to think about it and like, what can this guy with the Afro actually do? Or what if he can tell a joke with his hair? Like, oh, let me give you a hand. And then he makes a hand out of his Afro or something. (laughs) And so that kind of turned into, well, that's like a really cool superpower. What if he's like an Afro having superhero? And so that became the very primitive version of what was at the time called Afro Man, but then changed to Froman, and then he eventually got a sidekick named Dubstep Boy. So I had to look up Dubstep and what that was. Can you explain what Dubstep is? Oh, yeah. So Dubstep is a specific genre of like electronic music. So the type of stuff you can hear at like a, I guess, dance party or something like that, where it's just everything's like synths and electronic and like booming bass, but usually not type of words, just things that people would dance to but it's all like made on a computer and so dubstep boy Um, is in the comic from man's the adult from the 80s dubstep boy is a young kid from the modern day so the two types of ideas that are clashing is dubstep boy's got the modern type of electronic dubstep future music and from man's sort of like the laid back completely different genre from the 80s so did you have to look up stuff from the 80s and kind of immerse yourself in that in order to accurately depict Froman? A little bit, yeah. So my dad and my mom, they're just old enough to had grown up in the 80s, late 80s. So they have a little bit of experience. So I would talk to them, ask them like, oh, what's some slang that would be used back then? Or what would phrases, dress, that type of thing that I could put Froman in? So that's where he gets his signature V-neck. It's the big red (laughs) V-neck that goes down his head and shows off his one chest hair that he's got. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of that comes from just asking around what my parents did, what they can remember. And then also just doing research into 80s culture, like music from the 80s, that sort of thing. Just And 60s before that, huge, just huge hair and that sort of thing. So the story begins with your character, Alexander Monroe, who is Fro-Man, and he is pushed into a vat of radioactive goo by a co-worker at the local nuclear power plant where he works. And you have called him a fish-out-of-water character. Explain why you call him that and what made you want to have this type of character in your story. So in elementary school, we, we moved pretty much across the county to, and I had to move to a different school. And so at the time, I didn't notice this initially, but I was the only black kid in the entire, I think it was my grade, but there were a few more in the grades above, but I was the only black kid in my grade. And so having, being a fish out of water myself in my school, I'm having to not only learn, you know, how things work at this new school, but also 
how I fit in into this group of people that don't really look like me and still learn how to make friends, understand how things work. And so when I make my stories, I tend to sort of self-insert aspects of my life and my personality, which helps me get a grasp on my situation in real life and overcome. And so putting Froman or any of my characters, I hadn't come up with Froman by elementary school, but characters that I had made back then were sort of fish out of water characters themselves. They stood out and they had to figure out how to navigate the world. And that's what Froman eventually became. He's this guy who comes from the past. So he's a man out of time who's flash forwarded into the future. And he has to learn how to navigate the world, figure out how things work and a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't understand and culture that he doesn't understand and learning how to integrate, become a part of it and make sense of it all. I'm curious, now that you're older, do you still relate to that fish out of water character? Or do you find that that you've sort of adapted? Or do you still struggle with that and use that in your art and your writing? So now I've, I've pretty much adapted at this point, I've gotten really used to it. So the characters that I make now are other aspects of my personality. So I have a lot of other characters in this universe I've created. So like Dubstep Boy, there's an event that happens early on where Dubstep Boy has to overcome a challenge. And there's a similar challenge that occurs in my life. And then I would have put that into the comic, translated it a little differently. And he would go through that experience. And then that would help me overcome it in real life. Because you're getting ready to go to college, you know, whole new environment, whole new experience. Do you feel like you'll retain some of that as you move into new experiences? I just think it's interesting how, you know, a lot of artists, their art is both helpful for other people, but it's also sort of therapeutic for them. So I'm just wondering, you know, as you move forward, do you think that more of what you do will make its way into your art? I mean, absolutely. As we'll see what happens in college, my experiences, I'll probably end up putting something that I've experience from there into my work in the future as I continue doing other things with the series or these characters. But it's always, it's like it's become a part of me. Everything that my characters learn or that they go through is something that I've learned and I've experienced and I've grown from. So I think I'm definitely going to retain that, I guess, like elasticity, learning and growing and coming to terms with where I'm at and using what I've already made as like sort of a therapy to help me navigate where I go into or what I become. How many Froman comics do you have in print right now? And is it a series that you're going to continue? All right. So I currently have two Froman comics in print. The first one is Origins, which is the 57 page one. That's the first one. And then the second one came out, I believe it was November of last year called Froman and Dubstep Boy Tour Trouble. And so those two are currently out, but in the future, I'm definitely going to continue on with a lot more of these characters. There's a whole bunch of other characters in this universe that I want to tell stories of. There's the first two Froman comics. There's going to be two more in this, I guess I'm going to call it a volume, the total of four issues into one volume. And then after that, I'll probably branch out, try something new, something else in this universe, or maybe a different format, but I'm definitely going to continue working, making comics in this way. You talk about this universe. Is that what you refer to as the world of Chromics? And if so, what is that universe like? So the world of Chromics is sort of like this earth in which all of the different characters I've created live. And so throughout the years, me and my friends have all come up with just different wacky characters with superpowers, some with powers, some use magic, some are just regular people. And they all exist in this world where magic, superpowers, all of that sort of stuff exist. And it's like a world that's adjacent to our own. So things are really, really similar. You have brand names that are the same. Like, for example, in the comic I'm working on currently, the characters all hide out in a shake and steak. So it's a backwards of (laughs) steak and shake. So it's just like, or in the first comic from in a dubstep boy fight, um, a villain in a place called a game swamp rather than a game stop. It's just this <laughs> fun world where everything's just a little bit different from the real world and all these characters that I've come up with live in it. And so if something happens with from and dubstep boy, maybe somewhere across the world of comics, there's a character who 
does something else. There's a, another series I was going to start in the world of comics called um, Star Points, which stars a completely different cast of characters, which would be completely different. But that's something that would probably come in the future. With you talking about the worlds and the stories that you have in the hopper, how much time does it take you to create one of these and then to publish it? What's the time frame look like for that? So it's a little different based on how much content I'm going to be putting in it. So for example, the first comic, From Man and Dubstep Boy Origins, it was 57 pages long. And that one took about from start to finish around a year of on and off work. So going from writing down the story, reviewing it, going over with my friends, which is they're pretty much my writing team and revisionists. They read, critique, send it back to me, get it back and I make edits. And then it goes into drawing, putting all of that stuff into pictures. How am I going to frame this, put dialogue, that sort of thing. And then after that, publishing, getting it all neat, in order, in a nice, put a bow on it and then send it off to be published. That one took about a year, but the second comic took about half that time, about six months, because it was half the pages, half the story. So it, it kind of varies based on how much I'm trying to put into it. Like the ones that you mentioned that you have two more, are those in the early stages or are they further along? So the, the two that I have right now, which would be comic issue number three, is a pretty far along. And comic four has, I think the story are getting to be in its final form while comic three is still, I'm currently drawing, inking, writing and filling in speech bubbles and that sort of thing. Still, it's going to, it's a slippery slope. I'm not entirely sure how long it's going to take because I'm kind of ramping up the art. The art quality is going up in this one. It's going to look a lot better than the previous two, but yeah, just, it's going to take a little more time for those two to come out. So the comic credits Cyprian Amwari as an author. So I'm curious whether you find it's harder to come up with the story or the illustrations and which comes first to you. And how has it been working with someone else as a creative person? In terms of story and visuals, the story is much, much easier, comes more naturally to me than the visuals do. So like all these characters, I could sit down and talk about them forever because like when I'm reading, you read books and, and when you're writing, everything is descriptions. It's all just text and words and everything you read is a description of something else. You can describe events, places, scenes, that sort of thing. But when it comes to turning that into visuals and having to be more precise, whereas a picture tells a thousand words, but what specific words do I want to tell with this picture or this frame? Uh, it's a little more difficult. My friend Cyprian, he's been my best friend since the uh, start of high school, and he's one of the only ones that knows as much about the world of comics as I do. He knows all of the characters that haven't even made it into a comic yet. He knows a lot of the stories that I want to tell in the future. So he's been probably the closest one on the team. And so working with him is really, really helpful because when I'm making a story or I'm working on part of the comic, there will be a point where I'll be in a groove. I'll be working and things will be going well. I'll be drawing pages are coming together nicely, but then I'll hit like a roadblock where like an arm doesn't look right on a character and I can't get the perspective and proportions correct, or a line of dialogue doesn't sound like it flows naturally with the rest of the page. And that'll kind of discourage me. And then I'll like lose my motivation and it'll throw me off and being able to take what I've got down and Cyprian knowing as much as he does about the world of comics he can take what I've written, look at it again, and he'll come up with an idea or fill in the blank, all that sort of stuff to really help me figure out what I'm doing and get me right back into the groove of things again, which is really nice. It really helps me to get out of sort of writer's block when I have someone else to ping pong ideas off of or to help me to fill in gaps and that sort of thing. That's great that you could share that with your friend. I, I love that, that you all have been friends for a long time and you all kind of created this universe in your heads together. I think that's great. You've mentioned some of your other friends too that have helped you. Do they ever have to give you 
like criticism that you, you know, like maybe you're going in one direction and they're like, nah, I don't like this. Or what is that like? Does that ever happen? Oh, that happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My friends were all very, we we all were best friends. We're all really close. So we can be really, really critical of each other and still come out. We're all happy-go-lucky friends the next day. No hard feelings after we're done. So if anyone ever notices that, like, for example, in comic two, that one's a lot more slice of life rather than the first one, which is more of an adventure. So my friends were no- had noticed that it was really, really different from the first one. And so they had some concerns that it's a big jump to go to something else and they weren't really a big fan of it. And so taking that criticism that they had given me and they helped me to rework it into something that has a little bit of slice of life and a little bit of action mixed together into one to make the product that really came out really nice and I really like at the end. In the credits section, you also credit a list of teachers for letting you draw in class as well. Did you take a lot of art classes in school? Or are these teachers who you were you were sort of doodling in class and were your teachers supportive? So a lot of it, I'd taken one art class a year while I was at school. And I thank my art teacher, he's in there. But the teachers that I have listed on there are mostly ones that had let me draw in class. So <laughs> if I'm sitting there doodling on my my drawing tablet that I have, it's a Surface Pro. So it's half computer, half drawing tablet. So it's a little more discreet than having like a big computer out in class or something. But they let me draw in class a lot. And which that was just really nice to me because a lot of times people who draw in class are like, you know, they think you're distracted or you're not really paying attention in class or paying attention to what's actually going on. And so that I'd say that's not really the case. At least for me, it wasn't because I've graduated high school now and my GPA is high enough, I'd say, that was able to get me a pretty good scholarship in college. But those teachers who didn't take the pen and pencil away from me or didn't tell me to like put up my work was really encouraging to me and them seeing that I was able to still do what I like to do while also paying attention in class, getting my work done was really, really nice. So I wanted to make sure I thank them for allowing me to continue doing what I'm doing and allowing me to use the time that I've got there in class to try and get something that I'm really passionate about uh, worked on. How do you go about creating the artwork for your comics? You said you were using a was a Surface Pro. I've heard that you use a Japanese program and that you had to teach yourself Japanese to be able to use it. Is that correct? I had come across this artist on Instagram, but the problem was is that all of their captions were in Japanese. And so it was all written. It was just like those characters that I I couldn't understand at all. But the artwork itself was really, really nice. And they were showing pictures of their drawing tablet. And there's a program on there that didn't look like it was Adobe Illustrator, Adobe Photoshop, which were the two most popular, most well-known programs at the time. Other ones have come out now that I've seen that I could also consider, but those were the two that I had my eye on at the time. And so seeing that there was another program out there to use that was different, I want to try and get in contact with them to figure out how to get this program to see what like the cost was. Because Adobe is gets pretty expensive, especially for just me. I'm a kid in high school. I don't have the money to spend 60 bucks a month or get a plan that's like $1,000 a year to get a professional program if I'm just going to be drawing comics at just occasionally making some doodles on the time. So through them, I used a little bit of Google Translate, a little bit of trying to learn what different characters and symbols mean. And eventually I had been able to write out a crude message. I I probably sounded like I was insane talking to this person in their direct messages, but sent something (laughs) along the lines of what is the program that you use in the probably grammar. And it was probably terrible, but I got my message across and eventually he led me to find this program called Medibang Paint Pro. And so now They've actually moved on to where they have English translations on their website now, which would be nice if they had that earlier, but it allowed me to download the program from their website using a feature that Google's got where they can just translate all the text on a page, downloaded the program, and then having to use translate and look up characters and symbols of all the little different tabs and stuff in the program. So things like the pen, eraser, that sort of stuff was already, it's, it's just pictures of like a pen and eraser, but tabs like transforming tools and specific select tools, 
I had to learn and figure out or what those words meant and then using those so I could actually make my comic. And in the end, the program actually was free to use. So all of the work and effort putting into translating and looking up things pays off because I got the whole program for free and I was able to make just a lot of stuff with it. And it's really easy to use now. Wow. I'm just thinking, Carrie, you know, when we started doing this podcast and had to use recording programs, imagine if it had been in Japanese and we had to, <laughs> we never, we never would have gotten it. So I'm, I'm very impressed, but that's great that it was free. It made it worth the work, I guess. Oh, absolutely. For you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little tired just hearing about what you had to do in order to, to, to do that. That yeah. was, Wow. So comic books are somewhat different from graphic novels in that graphic novels are much longer and have a more complete story arc where a comic is usually serialized or it's a continuing story with each new issue. Do you think that you want to move to graphic novels at some point or do you like the serialized nature of the comic? So like what I like about doing the serialized nature of a comic right now is that I can get out a chunk of a story right now and then have people read it, enjoy it and see it and react to it, that sort of thing while I'm continuing to work on the next part. While a graphic novel would be, I sit down and work on this huge overlapping story where it just continues and continues. All of the characters are fully fleshed out and done with. But by that point, it's a one-time thing. Everybody sees it at the end and that's kind of it. Then I have to get back on another year-long project. So the comics that I work on currently, I can get done in about a year or half a year depending on the workload. And so people can see them, read, and then get ready for the next one to come out. I really like the serialized nature for that. But if it would be my preference, if I had all the time in the world, I would definitely sit down and want to make a graphic novel of just a few of my characters. I've definitely got a lot of ideas in my head about this one character. Her name's Electra Girl. And so she's just one of the superheroes with electric powers that lives within the world of comics she has a whole bunch of different facets to her character and people that she could interact with but currently i don't think i have the time or the resources to fully flesh out a graphic novel of just her now but if i could i definitely would make a graphic novel instead of comics so when you're not working on your own comics, you know, we had asked you about what you read when you were young and you mentioned the Dave Pilkey books. What types of things do you read now? So I really like to get into anything that's got like an adventure or dystopian sort of thing. Uh, here, here recently, I've been reading a lot of stuff about life on college campus, that sort of thing, personal sort of stuff. But before that, if I were to read casually, I'd flip back and forth between a lot of graphic novels and dystopian sort of novels. I really like getting into a world that's like completely different from our own and having to learn as I go through the book how characters interact with this world. So like recently, I just read George Orwell's 1984. It's like the big brother and all that sort of thing that exists there. And I just really, really like learning about this world, all the things that happen in it what life is like day to day for different people in it. That sort of stuff is just really, really interesting to me. And I really like to see how a world's developed and then use what I see there to kind of help me shape out my world of comics and how things work in my world. I tend to gravitate towards graphic novels or comics because it's got the visual aspect of it. But I still like to read actual books, just text, just words, because... Part of the fun in it is just imagining the world myself instead of having it mm -hmm. be shown to me. I like to read and see how it plays out on its own rather than being explicitly shown, oh, this is what it looks like. This is how it goes. You had mentioned in your credits, Stan Lee, who did the Marvel comics. So like, are you a big Marvel fan? Do you know all the backstories and all that stuff? So I had gotten into comics pretty late. Like I had said, I had that stigma of, oh, comics are for nerds. But now... I've gotten into really reading a lot of Marvel stuff. At the time and when I had finishing up publishing the first Froman comic, Stanley had just passed away. I think it was the day that I had finished the last page and I had heard the news and it was really had shaken me up because this guy who I had just started to learn about, who had made all of these different comics and stories and characters, 
and not specifically the work he had made at the time, but the, what it led to, like the Marvel movies that are out now or what inspired a lot of different people to really grow the, the comics as an art form. It was just really inspiring to me to see that he had passed, shook me up as I had just began to learn about him. So I wanted to include his name in the comics because my Froman comics probably wouldn't have existed or wouldn't have come out in the same way that they probably did. What gave you the idea to actually publish your comics with Amazon? I mean, some people would create their comics and they would maybe take it to Kinko's or somewhere, print it out for their friends, and you know that would be the end of it. So did you have encouragement from people to do that? Yeah, so that Kinko's thing was actually kind of a dream originally. Elementary school in Captain Underpants, George and Harold, the two kids, they make their comics. And what they would do is they would make copies of them and sell them on the playground to the kids at their school in the book. <laughs> and so I wanted to mimic that in real life. It never really got around to doing that in middle school or elementary school because I would never get like access to school's copy or just to print out my crude stick figure stuff. But eventually I'd gotten around to the point where I was drawing full-fledged characters or digitally on my drawing tablet rather than stick figures on scratch paper that I'd ripped out of a journal or something. So getting this to a digital format and putting it to the point where people could actually see it and it looks like more professional, I thought it'd be good to consider actually doing something with this. I put a lot of time and effort into getting it to this point and I've invested in a Surface Pro to draw on this tablet why don't I actually do something with it? And so my friends who all just love the characters, love learning and reading about them, the world of comics and that sort of thing, and Froman, his adventures, they just really encouraged me to want to go out and publish them, get it so it's like in a tangible book format that they could go and pick up themselves and share with somebody else rather than me showing my tablet around the school, looking at the pictures and me swiping back and forth on a screen, something that everyone could have and everybody could be a part of was really important. During your senior year of high school, you won the Scholastic Golden Key Award and your artwork was also displayed at KMAC, the Kentucky Museum of Art and Craft. So tell us a little bit about those honors and what that recognition has done for you. So that recognition was really, really important to me, especially for my parents. So for the longest time I had made, you know, like goofy stick figure stuff and showed it around school and Afro Man at the time, which is now Fro Man, it just was kind of like a joke or like a kid's thing to do. It wasn't really all that important, but eventually earning that recognition, having my work be up in a museum, getting Scholastic Gold Key, made it very, very real to me and to my parents that this is more than just doodles on a piece of scratch paper. This is some, something that's important, something we should really invest in and work towards doing more with this and saying, hey, what, what you're making is actually really good. You should do something with it, which was really, really important to me and inspired me to like continue what I'm doing. And that's why I'm just so consistent with even making stuff now. It's just I'm inspired because this is a real thing. I'm here, I'm exploring this world and people are wanting to look at it and read it. So it was really good to get that picture. So with you getting ready to head off to college, you had mentioned that you have, you know, a lot of things in the works and in reserve. Is this something that you hope to make a, a career or do it professionally? Or what are you thinking as far as the future? So currently, I'm, I'm going to go to University of Kentucky and study digital media and design. So I'll be learning about that graphic design, because that's another one of my passions. I just like to design, create that sort of thing. In terms of Froman and Dubstep Boy and all of these characters and stories I have, it'll probably be something that I keep on the back burner. I'll have to see what I do or how I can do it in terms of course load with the coming school year because things are already kind of up in the air right now with how things are going to be done, being on half online, half in person, classes. But if I can get to the point where Froman and Dubstep Boy is profitable or it's to the point where I'm getting recognized by like a higher level up to the point where I could to take that as a career. I definitely would. But at the moment, it'll be sort of like a hobby that I stick to while I focus on graphic design, making and designing that sort of thing, which it may not sound like that's the the goal to go to because it's not 
my passion, but I really do enjoy creating logos and designs, photos, all that sort of stuff on objects, on posters. That's just about as exciting to me as my Froman stuff. So it's just sort of a wait and see, we'll see what happens type of thing. Well, if someone wants to purchase some of your comics, where can they find those? So currently, The Adventures of Froman and Dubstep Boy is on Amazon. Froman and Dubstep Boy Origins for the first one. And for the second comic, it's Froman and Dubstep Boy Tour Trouble. So those are both on Amazon currently in paperback form. There's also ebooks for your Kindle or any smart device. And they can also be free with Kindle Unlimited if you've got that. And I'm also on Instagram at World of Comics, where I usually post like little sneak peeks or bits into my progress of the comic from time to time. And rarely I'll be streaming on Twitch, where I sit there and I just draw my comics live with the the chat room and see how they react to what I'm doing for a little bit. (laughs) We're going to take a short break. I am going to look up what Twitch is. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We're back with David Crosby and with Carrie. And Carrie, what are you reading? So I'm going to talk about a book that I actually listened to the audiobook a little while ago. It was mid-July that I finished it up. And it took me a while because, and I've talked about this, I usually listen to audiobooks when I'm in my car. And because of physical distancing and all this weirdness, I'm not in my car. It's called Children of Blood and Bone, a Legacy of Orisha, number one. And it's by Tomi Adeyemi. She's a Nigerian writer. And this book, it was really well done. Um, I had seen the cover. It it has a really uh, vibrant cover to this book. So it had been on my TBR list for a while. I will tell you that the audiobook narrator, her name's Bonnie Turpin, and she's amazing. I mean, there's this whole range of characters, and she was able to switch her voice and just do these little intricate changes which I just found amazing. So David, you were talking about these other worlds. And so this book is about this other world. So in this world, there's the Magi, and these are people who have magical powers. But what has happened is that the Magi have been suppressed. So the people who do not have magical powers have basically been scared of the Magi. And so they have been either killed or kind of run underground. And so the the main character in this story is a girl named Zaylee. And her mother was killed by the king and his soldiers when she was young. She grows up and she has a brother. And what they ultimately discover is that magic is coming back. And so this book tells the story of how magic, it, not that it ever died, but it's kind of reborn and the struggle with that. What makes this even more complicated, the king who has fought to try to get the magi out of the picture for years, he has a son and a daughter. And his daughter's best friend, it it was her best friend, but also the servant. So there's some complicated issues with that. But her best friend was a magi and her father kills her best friend. And so she escapes. And so you have this story where it's about people who have been marginalized, who are trying to regain some power. But you also have this family conflict because the princess escapes and you learn some things about her brother that I don't want to give too much away because it's it's a really good story. But he's got some things going on that complicates his goal to make his father proud. So there's a lot of action in this story. I hate to like say it reminded me of something else because this is an entirely different world, but Basically, it's almost like a Hunger Games type situation, except they're in boats. And it's just really wild, the things that the author dreamed up. When they talk about the Magi, the different types of magic they have, one of the types of magic is that they can 
basically pull the dead up, you know, almost like pull shades up from death and have them fight for you, which is just mind blowing, you know? So it gives you all these different ways in which magic could be used to fight against wrongdoing and evil and all this stuff. So it sucked me in. And like I said, this is the first book in the series, but I really enjoyed it. But I definitely want to read more of her book. She's supposed to be the keynote speaker for the debut Louisville Book Festival. Yes, was coming. she is. Yes. And so that was part of the reason that book had been on my list for a while. But however they're going to do it, whether it's going to be virtual or in person, seeing that she was like the big name, I moved it up and I thought I have to read this sooner. I gave it four stars for the audiobook, So highly recommend. So David, what have you been reading? So I have been reading Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which is a graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley it stars Scott Pilgrim. He's a young man who's living in a world where He's sort of like an outcast, but he's got a very small group of friends. It's just normal life. He's in a garage band. When he meets this girl, that this mysterious woman who he wants to try and get to talk to, but she keeps disappearing. Eventually, he gets around to meeting her. But in order to date her, he has to defeat over the course of, I think it's six different issues of this graphic novel her seven deadly exes so all of her ex-boyfriends are <laughs> he has to go and fight all of them in order to get the grand end prize at the end of it which it's a really cool series unlike how i usually go about reading i saw the movie first it was recommended to me on netflix which i didn't even know about the graphic novel series until after i'd watched the movie and i gotta say the the novels are absolutely phenomenal compared to the movie i mean they're both amazing but i really really like there's like this video game aspect to it so like scott's life is like he's in this video game world where there's like action and sound effects and stuff that would, looks like it just pops out of a video game like scott destroys one of the evil exes and like a video game high score pops up above his head and he's like gains <laughs> seven thousand points or something like that it's it's a really interesting story that he goes through. So it's sort of like a Hercules retelling. It sounds like a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong, Carrie, but isn't with Hercules, didn't he have all these feats that he had to complete in order to win a woman? Yeah. Am I wrong about that? I know he had to do certain feats. I don't know what the end goal was. So I'm curious though, I mean, as a woman, did the girl decide that these were the feats or did a like her dad decide that these were the feats? Oh, so all of her evil exes, the reason that they're evil is that she ended the relationship with each of them. They have formed this, they call themselves the League of Evil Exes, and they've <laughs> essentially sought to control, their girl's name is Ramona, they've sought to control Ramona's future dating life for the rest of her existence because they're all just angry. So every time somebody <laughs> tries to go and date Ramona or get to know her, they all band together again as this group and work to just try and take down whoever it is. That sounds amazing. I've got to check it out. I had heard of the movie, but I haven't seen it. So maybe I'll read the graphic novel. And I did not realize it was a graphic novel first either. And then I'll go watch the movie. Yeah, I was really struggling with, should I use this for my children's dating life and like make this something that suitors have to do? Or should I be offended that this girl is having her life dictated to. So I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel about this. <laughs> right. It's not like all where the woman is the damsel in distress for the whole thing, where she's just being tossed around by a whole bunch of different men. She's got depth. She's got character. She's very, very interesting in all the different facets of her life that she goes through that's even gotten her into this position. So it's, it's really fun. Cool. Well, Amy, what have you had going on? So I guess you could say I've been a little on edge lately. And so when I was looking through my book stacks, all of them seemed to be too heavy or too serious. And I wanted something that would just take me away and not require me to think about anything outside the walls of my house. So recently I had picked up some books at the thrift shop and I get books from the thrift shop 
quite often because I just like having books sitting around so I can pick from all different kinds of books. And the title of this particular one intrigued me and I bought it on a whim. I'd never heard of it. And I'm so glad that I did. So the book is called What We Found in the Sofa and How It Saved the World by Henry Clark. And this is his debut novel. It was published in 2013 and it's a middle grade book. And the author has previously had pieces published in Mad Magazine and Isaac Asmanov's Science Fiction Magazine. So that gives you an idea of what you're getting into here. It's, you know, it's comedy melded with some science fiction. So this book reminded me of a wackier and more madcap version of the TV show Stranger Things with some elements of Harry Potter thrown in there as well. So the premise, though, it leaps off of a tidbit of history that's actually true. And there's a town in Pennsylvania called Centralia, where there was an underground anthracite coal mining operation. And in the 1960s, one of the coal seams caught on fire, and it's still burning underneath the surface today. And they estimate that it will continue to burn perhaps for another century. And it's it's not been able to be extinguished. And it has turned the town of Centralia into virtually a ghost town. The ground smolders and smoke rises up through cracks in the ground. And residents could no longer live there for health reasons, obviously. And so Congress paid them to move. So in Clark's book, we have three young teen friends, two boys and a girl. It's River, Freak, and Fiona. And they live in a town called Cheshire in Pennsylvania, which is on the outskirts of a place the locals call Hellsborough because of an underground fire at a local chemical plant, which cannot be extinguished. So the three characters, their families are the last to live on the border of Hellsborough. And all three have lost parents or siblings to the mess that the plant has made, whether it be through health problems or accidents. So one day, as the three are waiting for a bus to pick them up for school in front of a huge abandoned mansion that's on their side of town, they see a sofa just sitting on the curb. And it's an odd place for a sofa, and the sofa itself looks a little bit odd. And they are intrigued, so they stick their hands down between the cushions to see if there's any money, of course, so, you know, they can go buy junk food or something. And they find several objects. They find a crayon that's in perfect condition that's labeled as zucchini green, They find a double-headed coin and a wooden domino. And they decide to try to sell the crayon on eBay. And within a few hours, they have bids up to several thousand dollars. And it turns out to be a very rare crayon, going back to the limited edition pack of crayons from World War II. From there, all hell breaks loose. And all kinds of strange characters are trying to get the crayon, including a strange man who they find living in the abandoned mansion who says that he needs the crayon to help catch a criminal mastermind from another world who is set on enslaving all of humanity on Earth and who caused Hellsborough in the first place. So I'm not going to tell you any more about where the storyline goes, but I found this book just really enjoyable and delightful. I would describe it as a comic adventure with a lot of action, teens outwitting adults, some gross sort of potty, you know, humor that boys would like. The ending's a little over the top and it's very Hollywood-esque, but it's perfect for its intended audience, I think. So I'm not sure that there's any deep meanings to it necessarily, but it's a fun, zany romp for your middle schoolers and even for me as a middle-aged mom. And Henry Clark has two other books out. I don't believe that they are a series, but they all feature three friends on crazy adventures. And I know that the second one has something to do with time travel, and I intend to read them all. So that's what I've been reading. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That sounds really <laughs> awesome. And so I feel like I need to clarify on the Hercules thing because I can't let something go. <laughs> All right. So according to Tufts University, Hera decided to make trouble for Hercules. She drove him crazy and he killed his own wife and children. And he prayed to Apollo, and Apollo told him he would have to serve the king of Tyrans and Mycenae for 12 years in punishment for the murders. And so as part of his 12 years, he had to perform 12 labors. Oh, okay. So I'm it, off it on that. Yeah, but... maybe maybe you got the Trojan War mixed up, because that maybe. was all for a woman. So, you oh, know, okay. things run together. If you mix Hercules and the Trojan War, then you'd have Scott Pilgrim and... <laughs> 
All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to ask David Crosby his top five. We are back with David Crosby, and he's going to be answering his top five. Question number one, David, you've been known to fix things around your house. What has been the top challenging appliance or technology that you've successfully fixed? There there was an event that's happened here at our house in the last year. We've been living here for about 10 years. And so, I mean, the house was brand new when we got it. Everything was new. But now things are starting to fall apart. And so at one point, everything in our kitchen sort of just blew up in succession. So our microwave stopped microwaving, the oven started smoking up, and then our electric (laughs) stovetop, like in the middle of the night, would short out and just start this loud beeping that would wake us all up. It was absolutely terrible. And once we would fix one, the next thing would happen. And then the next thing would happen. So it sounds like Poltergeist, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big uh, to fix was, first of all, the microwave. I mean, you look at a microwave and you think it's not that complicated. You press the buttons and then it makes the thing spin. For us, I had to go out and figure out all the wiring behind the buttons, taking things out and plugging things in that I'd never seen before. Like, does the blue wire go with the red wire and where, how do I connect them? And, And then doing that with the oven and then... Eventually, we just decided to replace the whole stovetop. It's just sort of my thing. I'm like the tinkerer in the house. I like to just find a fix for just about anything that I can. I would be afraid I couldn't get everything back where it's supposed to go. So that doesn't worry you. Like you sort of enjoy the puzzle of it, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. Like I I try to find the best fix for it as possible and leave it be as it is. And then if something breaks again, I'll figure out how to fix that thing. If I can get the whole thing done, I can solve the puzzle and get it all together in a nice, neat bow, then I'm happy with that. It's just really fun. Wow, I'm impressed. So you haven't considered electrical engineering then mm, it was a as little, a major? <laughs> before the comics started getting successful and I got the recognition, uh, my parents definitely were saying I'm probably going to be on the engineering track. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if we could see how things turn out in college, but I think I'm sticking where I'm at. Appliances all, I, they all talk to each other and it's like ritual suicide. So one will go and then they have this pack. <laughs> right. They all decide to start going. So question number two. So as a video game enthusiast, you've probably found you've had a lot more time to play during social distancing. What is your top game to play and why? Uh, so my top game or probably two favorite games would be Minecraft and uh, Super Smash Brothers with my friends. Mostly because all of my friends, we all get together and we like video chat and just get on a call together as we play. And so it's like we're all being together playing these games. And like Minecraft, we build houses and fight bosses and make things together. And Smash and we're all fighting against each other in this game where you pick from a myriad of characters and then duke it out against each other in real time. So being able to connect with my friends like that over the call, it's really nice. It's like we're all hanging out together when we're apart, which is still really fun. Do your parents have to yell at you to come eat dinner and all that stuff? I'm speaking from experience here. Like (laughs) the one phrase that my son uses is in a minute. And then, you know, 40 minutes later. So does that happen in your house? Oh, Definitely. Like I'll get really, really (laughs) invested. There'll be a point where I'll say, oh, I'll be up in five minutes. And then I'll realize that an hour and a half has passed and dinner's already been boxed up and it's back in the fridge and I have to reheat everything (laughs) because I just lose track of time. So question number three, when you buy comic books, what's the top comic book store you like to visit? And that could be either in person if there's an in-person one or maybe there's an online one that you like to go to. So there's two places I like to go. There's this one local place called The Destination. It's off of Westport Road. It's a little small place um, on the side of a strip mall where I usually go if I want to just find something new. They actually host local artists, put their own comics and stuff like that on display. They have a specific section for them. And so I tend to go there, read and pick up some of those. But other than that, if I want to like look for Marvel sort of stuff or stuff that's older, I go to Half Price Books. They have bundles of comics that you can get that are like the ones that would sell for 60 cents way back in like in the golden age 
and they'll put them all in bundles and you get like a stack of 10 or 20 of them for like $2, which is really, really good because mm. I can get a whole myriad of these old comic book history and look at it and read it all for really, really cheap, which is really nice. So do you prefer having the paper copy of comic books or do you ever do Kindle versions? Well, I, I rarely do Kindle versions. I really like having the, the physical comic book there mm. with me. I like just the sensation, turning the pages, see what happens next. Okay, so question number four. Let's talk about Legos a little bit. So speaking as a parent, I have so many painful foot memories about Legos, <laughs> but I want to know, do you still like to build with them? And what is the Lego structure you've created that you're most proud of? Uh, so Legos have always been a favorite of mine because, again, I love to tell stories and make like little worlds. So building little worlds out of my Legos was always a thing I would do. So Today, I still build with them, not really like the Lego sets for younger kids now, like the Lego City or Lego Star Wars, that sort of thing. I usually get, they have a series called Lego Architecture. So it's different mm -hmm. sets of various landmarks around the world recreated in Lego, like Taj Mahal, Leaning Tower of Pisa, Eiffel Tower, that sort of thing. And so the one that I've made most recently that I'm most proud of, I can't remember how many pieces was, it was like two or three thousand but it's the oh. yeah it's the statue of liberty it's about two and a half feet tall somewhat to scale of the actual statue of liberty there's a lot of little small details in it to get try and mimic the the folds and the like the dress or the the crown with the spikes on it that sort of thing as well as the structure of the base of it which is like all that concrete marble that sort of stuff that supports it uh, it's just a really really cool build i just really like putting things together like that you know now i know like the the statue of liberty ones and and those the architecture ones the goal is to display them but like when you were a kid and you were doing some of the you know just using regular legos once you built it would you take it apart and then build it again or was it like one and done i was pretty one and done type of thing because i get really sentimental about the things that i put together so <laughs> i really can't bear to see myself <laughs> taking my own stuff apart so once I put all the thing together, I'm sitting there playing with it like it's a regular toy. Like sets that I used to get were called the Power Miners. They're discontinued now, but it was like drills and giant underground mining machines that were absolutely ridiculous with fighting rock monsters. And they were like miners and they would fight the rock monsters to try and get crystals. But yeah, I'd always put them together. And then once they're together, they do not come apart after that. All right. Question number five. You are headed to UK soon. What is the top thing you're looking forward to about college? Uh, so the number one thing, and I, most people would say this, but I really am looking forward to sort of the independence and the adventure of it. Mm -hmm. So once I'm up and out of here, I, I mean, I've been living here in this house for 10 years and pretty much doing the same thing. Once I'm out of college, it's kind of on my own trying to figure out how to navigate the world and things around me. I'm still, of course, going to class, going to school, but there's a lot more freedom and I'm going to have my car. I'm going to be not too far from home, but far enough so that I could say like I'm having a college experience away from home, away from the family. That is a good thing to look forward to. Well, David, I wanted to tell you, talking with you has reminded me of something from my own childhood that I had forgotten about. But you talked about creating your comic on paper and sort of sharing it with friends. And when I was probably sixth grade, I don't know, elementary, early middle, I had forgotten that a friend of mine and I would write stories for each other. Have you heard of the, the band Duran Duran? Yeah. This was very popular in the 80s. Yeah. So if, if you don't know, okay, we both love Duran Duran. And so we would imagine that we were married to whichever musician in Duran Duran. And so I would write her a story about her pretend existence <laughs> with whoever her person was in Duran Duran. And she would write me a story. And so we would exchange them. And I had completely forgotten about this until you started talking about your experiences drawing comic books. So <laughs> thank you for bringing back what I had forgotten about that was a pretty funny memory. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's awesome. 
All right. Well, David, thank you so much. We wish you all the best at college. And we cannot wait until we see more of your new editions of Fro Man and Dubstep Boy. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.